0: Uh, Let's go ahead and turn to God's Word. This morning we will be in 1 Samuel chapter 5. So if you have a physical Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, We're going to look at the entire chapter. Uh, The text will be up on your screen and it's in your bulletin printed as well. We're walking through this book with the series title, uh, Kingdom in Search of a King. We saw in the first three chapters of this book that uh, it focused on the man of Samuel, you can guess, his name is in the title of the book, so it starts with the call, the life and the call of Samuel himself. At the end of chapter 3, we saw that the word of God came to Samuel for the very first time. Last week, we turned the page to chapter 4, we saw that Samuel was somewhat eclipsed, uh, uh, pun, yes, Do you, who saw the eclipse this week? Yes, it was really... I did not see it, but my kids did, and they said it was really cool. So Samuel was eclipsed by the Ark of the Covenant for three for the majority of three chapters. So from 1 Samuel chapter 4 through the beginning of 7, the Ark of the Covenant is now at the center of the narrative. Last week, as we opened to 1 Samuel chapter 4, we saw that the people were in a battle. They lost the first one, the second one. They said, we forgot the Ark of the Covenant, so let us take God's power and bring it into the battle. In other words, they used God for what he had to offer them, not loving him for who he is. And today in chapter 5, we continue in this same story. So if you remember, last week we concluded that there was two battles in chapter 4, and then it transitioned to the response from the Israelite people. We saw Eli died. And then Ichabod was born, those two things. The response on the Israelite side this morning, we're looking at the Philistine side, the Philistine response to the battle and the ark being captured. So let's go ahead and open God's word. We will be in 1 Samuel chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12. It's the entire chapter. Let's read this together. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Verse 6 The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was again against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, you are holy. You are mighty. You are strong. You are full of wisdom. You are infinite. Father, as we come to your word today, We acknowledge and we recognize that we are not infinite. We are finite. We are not all-knowing. Father, we need you here in this place. Spirit, move amongst us, helping us to understand in more depth and breadth the love you have for your people and the length at which you went to show us that by sending your Son. Father, be with us this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, it's fall time for some reason. It has crept up on us. I feel like yesterday it was summer. I feel like we just got into the fall, but it is the middle of October. And one activity that many people do in October is go apple picking. A lot of my friends have done this already. There's a few orchards up near Riadoso, and I read an illustration recently that may deter you from doing this, and I apologize in advance. But I read an illustration about Apples and how it relates to sin, actually. I'm going to ask you a question that you may know the answer to, but I did not when I looked at this this week. How does a worm get inside of an apple? Perhaps, like me, you thought the worm makes its way from the outside into the core of the apple, then comes out later at some point. But scientists have actually discovered... That worms come from the inside of the apple and make their way out. How does the worm get there? It's simple. An insect lays a seed in the apple blossom. And sometime later, I told you you're not going to want to eat a caramel apple or anything this season. I'm very sorry for that. Sometime later, the worm hatches in the heart of the apple and then eats its way out. Sin, like this worm, begins in the heart. And it works its way out through a person's thoughts, words, and actions. Often when we come to biblical texts, as Christians, we want to put ourselves in the position of the hero. We are like Samuel. We are like Abraham. We are like David. To get too scary, too close to this, this is what I'm trying to warn us about, we are like Jesus, right? Last week I was urging us, To put ourselves in the place not of the faithful ones, but of unfaithful Israel. And today, as we look at this text, I want to remind us all that we were all born into sin, that sin is there from the beginning, that we are born into sin. And also we choose to sin, both of those things, that we are born into sin. And humanity, every single person defies the Lord and his power over all things. The power of God, the even idea of the power of God, causes very few people to tremble in our time. And in our text, we see this very clearly, right? You see the Philistine people take their victory trophy from the battle, the Ark of the Covenant, without really understanding or caring about the holiness, the power of God. They don't understand their sinful place before them. And in their very being, they are defying the Lord himself. And this text tells us of the result. It's not a pretty story. So the big idea for today is that there is no enemy that can stand against the Lord's power. There is no enemy that can stand against the Lord's power. We're going to look at two different things. First, the Philistine God. This is verses 1 through 5. And then secondly, we will look at the Philistine people. It's helpful for us, before we get into the first point, to remember... The story I summarized at some already for us from chapter 4. But remember the end of the second battle in chapter 4, this is what is said. This is First Samuel chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. The Ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. If you Remember, that was the end of the battle, the second battle last week. The Ark of the Covenant was taken off. It was captured. Eli's two sons, as foretold before, were killed, and Israel was defeated. Remember last week at the end of chapter 4, we saw two main things. that Eli heard of the news. He fell over. The news was too much for him to handle, and his neck broke, and he died. The second thing that happened was the wife of Phineas dying during childbirth, gave birth to her son and named him Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed from Israel. So that's what, that was the response of the Ark of the Covenant by Israel. Now today, this story is running parallel with the second half of, verse, of chapter 4. That Today we get to see the response and what is going on in the Philistine area. Instead of the location being Shiloh, where Eli and Ichabod were, we get to hear what happened with the Philistines in Ashdod. So let's go ahead and turn to verse 1. This is the Philistine god. Verses 1 and 2 say this. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. You've probably put two and two together already by reading the text, but this begins by telling us that the Philistines placed the Ark of the Covenant in the house of their God, of Dagon. And by placing it there, the Philistines had a theological understanding of the significance of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember chapter 4. They said a God has come into the camp. So now when. That God is captured. They believe. They bring it in. To the house of their God. They believe that they have prevailed over the Israelites. When th- what in their mind would have said. Dagon has prevailed over Yahweh. Thus. Thus. We are going to bring the Ark of the Covenant, this God of the Israelites, to be an attendant in the household of Dagon. If you remember, the Israelites were thinking in a very similar way. They thought that God would be an attendant to them in battle, resulting in their defeat. Now, The Philistines have the same attitude, believing that Yahweh is just a mere attendant to their God. And when it goes on in verse 3, and says this. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. This verse is intended to be funny. I know we don't, we sometimes come to the Bible and think it's all serious. But I want you to think about this narrative, okay? So they captured the Ark of the Covenant. They bring it into the house of their God. They leave it there overnight. And in the morning, what happens? Dagon is prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. And what does the second half of verse 3 say? So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. Thinking about this, I think about little minions like waddling over, picking Dagon up, putting him back in his place. Right? See the picture he is painting. With the events that have happened during the night. We don't know what happened during the night, but we do, what we do know is that in the morning, Dagon is laying in a position of reverence and worship towards God himself. You have to hear the humor that they had to pick up Dagon to put him back in his place. That this God, the Philistines' thoughts, brought victory over Yahweh, can't even lift himself up, can't even stand up on his own. So reading after the fact, for us and for the Israelite people, they're probably saying, what kind of God is this? That can't even pick himself up. It goes on in verse 4. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Not one time does this happen, but two times. Again, we're not told of what goes on during the middle of the night. All we see is the result. We see that the Philistines find their God again bowing in reverence before the ark, but more than that, both his hands and his head were cut off there 's some sort of connection here I want you to see. You remember what happened to Eli when he fell over his neck was broken here, the same way dagon 's neck is broken, and his head is cut off. This was reminiscent of a grueling military execution. One theologian said that the Philistines' conquering divine hero had been humbled and mercilessly executed in his own stronghold. I played basketball in high school and when I read this, quote, we used to go on the road, we'd go to Hobbes or Alamogordo, I played for Mayfield on Las Cruces, we'd go to Hobbes or Alamogordo, sometimes Los Lunas, and we've ever beat them when we were on the road, do you know the chant that we that the parents would say? In your house, in your house. Have you been at a basketball game that they've said that? We beat you in your house, your home turf. This is what happened here. God does not bow to anyone else, but if God enters into any sphere, He is the one being. Bowed towards Ralph Davis and his commentary says this is a regular Humpty Dumpty situation with no Elmer glue. That their power of their God of their idol. Was in no way sufficient against the power of Yahweh. And the Lord intends for his, pe- his people, for you and for me, reading this text today, not merely just to laugh about the idea of this idol falling down and breaking, but also to think. This is not just humor, it's didactic humor. It's causing us to think, to think about the picture that this paints of Yahweh, the God that we serve. Unlike beheaded Dagon Yahweh does not need someone to come set him up again he can fight the Philistines himself he doesn't need rescuing by God's people he will deliver himself this text is teaching us of the self-sufficiency and supremacy of the Lord God he is the creator and upholder of the universe chapter 4, we saw that it shows us that you cannot manipulate God for your own convenience. In chapter 5 today, it shows us that he doesn't need you to support him or to carry him. But the opposite is actually true. And if you've gone, gone through any dark season in your life, you know that to be true. That he is the one who will carry us. He is the one who is there for us in our time of need. It's not our power that he needs but his power that we need. So for many of us in this room, we know of the power of God. We know that he's sovereign over all things. We can probably even say the catechism responses like we did this morning, right? Some of the creeds that talk about it. But believing and knowing are very different. That you can know something to be true, but your life, our lives often will functionally show that we actually don't believe it. So when we come to a text like this, we have to see in our own life, where are we having a hard time believing that he, God, is the one to carry you? Maybe you put all the pressure on yourself to perform, to make sure every detail of your life is in order, that you don't miss anything, you just desire to control it. Maybe you worry about your kids, your spouse, your parents. This text shows us that God is in control, that we are not. I think the call for us is to turn our worry, our anxiety, our control over to the one God himself who actually has the power. This text shows us that we have a God who is sovereign and in control over all things. His call for you is not to be self-sufficient. It's not for you to be sovereign or all-controlling. It's to trust him, the one who is self-sufficient, sovereign, and all-controlling. You are to trust his power. And I ask you, if you're not trusting his power, what are you trusting? Let us go on. The Philistine people, this is verses 6 through 12. Verse 6 says this. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. He terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. Remember in chapter 4, it talked about how the Philistines were aware of the plagues that the Lord has brought upon the Egyptians. And now, in chapter 5, they are experiencing a very similar judgment. Not only does Dagon, their God, experience this judgment, but the people themselves do as well. First in chapter 4, the Israelites believe they can use God as a spiritual tool, and now they are doing the same thing when the ark enters the Philistine camp, and neither result is favorable for the people. The result is judgment for both parties. So here beginning of this section we see the people in ashdod and the surrounding area are plagued with two things with terror and tumors those two things the israelites thought the ark to be a divine power box to be used at their discretion the philistines trembled on the battlefield believing that same reality so when they capture the ark we see that it does them no more good than it did for the israelites but it brings them terror and tumors. And yet, there's more verses than verse 6. They do not surrender once it happens once. They go, he goes on in verse 7. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So we really see a change from the beginning of this chapter to here, right? The beginning of the chapter, the ark is a prize. It is their token, their trophy that they have received from the battle they have won. And now it moves from a prize of war to a hot potato. No one wants it at all, right? Not at all. We don't know why they passed the ark to Gath to this specific place. Maybe Gath drew the short straw. Said, no one wants it. You take it. I don't want it. No. Like no-goes, right? Maybe they're the last person to put their hand on their nose. We don't know. But what we do know is the ark is moved from Ashdod to Gath. And then after that, we'll read after this in a second. They pass it from Ashdod to Gath and later to Ekron. All with the same result, they break out in terror and tumors. Judgment falls upon the people of each city. I want you to see this phrase that's mentioned four times throughout this last section. The hand of the Lord was heavy against them. Verse six, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. Verse seven, the hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. Verse nine, the hand of the Lord was against the city. Verse 11, the hand of God was very heavy there. So this word for heavy is kabod. This word, kabod, is used in a dual sense. It can either mean a heaviness of judgment or a heaviness of glory. You could actually translate it heavy on its own too. But a heaviness of judgment or a heaviness of glory or honor. And the word play from chapter 4 to chapter 5 can't really be translated all that well into English. But the word in chapter 4, when, they, when the wife of Phineas says, where has God's glory gone? The word for glory is kabod, the same one. First, we see the heaviness of God's glory has departed. The mother in Shiloh says, where is the kabod? Now, the heaviness of God's judgment, we know where it went is upon the people trying to misuse him. Where is the glory? Where is the kabod? What we see is the personal God, Yahweh, cannot be reduced to an impersonal power. When they try to do that, the result is judgment. So verse 11, to conclude this section. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. The Lord wins the battle. He is in no need of saving, but he saves himself. The people realize that they, the Philistines, and their God are no match against the power of Yahweh. Because remember, our big idea, there is no enemy that can stand against the Lord's power. There is no enemy that can stand against the Lord's power. This is the story that we see throughout the totality of Scripture. When the greatest enemy... Plagues the earth in Genesis chapter three when sin and death enter into God's good creation. He already had a plan to conquer this enemy. I saw that Stephen wrote Proto Evangelion on the word on the board this morning in Sunday school, and I was very excited to see that because it's right here, in Genesis chapter three. If you weren't there. The Proto-Evangelion is the first glimpse of the gospel. It tells us of a seed of a woman that will come to crush the head of the serpent. That the greatest enemy of all creation, sin and death, it holds no power over the God of the universe. That this seed of the woman would be God's very son to take on flesh, not only fulfilling the law for us, But conquering our greatest enemy by dying the death that we deserve and being raised on the third day. That in Jesus, in God's own Son, the greatest enemy against humanity, sin and death is conquered. So when we read this story today of God's great power being shown in the midst of the Philistines, let us remember This is the same God with the same power that conquered our sin and our shame. In that time, and I would even say in our time, we can think of the cross or dying for another person as weakness. 1 Corinthians tells us that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of salvation for all who believe. And there is no enemy that can stand against the Lord's power for you and salvation. So the cry, I think, for us today is to turn to Jesus, to find the power of salvation in the work that He has done on your behalf. Let us pray together. Father, what a beautiful thing it is to get to serve you, our God, who holds power over all things, that you love us so much that you sent your only Son to conquer our greatest enemy, sin and death, through your power, that there was no power that could conquer you, but you conquered our greatest enemy. Father, we thank you for your word for giving us this revelation that you have of yourself, of your people. Father, we do pray as we continue to study your word that you would grow us more in the likeness of your Son. Father, we thank you for your word. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.